Okay, how's everybody? Doing okay? Good? Good stuff. Um, so we've been going through the Gospel of John. And we're just in the beginning. And we're looking at John chapter 2 this evening. And this is a really interesting story. Um, it shines the light on who Jesus is and what Jesus is passionate about. And one of the interesting things is there's a lot of, I think, sentimentality about who Jesus is, especially when you look at church stained glass. The little church I grew up in had a very serene Jesus. Uh, He had brown hair, I think blue eyes. I'm not sure. Um, He had a lamb around his neck and uh, a flowing white, you know, robe and, you know, flowing brown hair. And uh, that picture of Jesus, I still remember as a little kid. And it was a very, you know, serene Jesus. Um, And you might think from pictures like that that Jesus is just kind of this nice guy who lived in the Middle East and, I don't know, um, walked around with sandals and just blessed people all the time and just was this nice guy, kind of a wimpy Jesus almost. And uh, But when you turn to the Scriptures, you, you see a very different Jesus. You, you see a very uh, assertive Jesus. And especially in John chapter 2, you see a hot, passionate, angry Jesus. A Jesus that is basically kicking butt and taking names as he enters into this temple. Uh, he is hot, red hot mad Okay, as he comes in there. Um, and so, I don't see any stained glass pictures with Jesus, like, throwing tables over, okay, and, and just, like, you know, ripping bags of money out of people's hands and throwing it on. You usually don't see those kind of stained glass windows, but let me just tell you, that's the kind of Jesus we're dealing with. We're dealing with someone who uh, has the full spectrum of emotion and someone who is passionate about worship. He's passionate about you worshiping His Father and Himself. And so, as we look at John 2, turn with me, or look up there, and I'm going to read uh, about Jesus cleansing the temple. And so this is verse 13 down to 22. So hear God's Word tonight. And, excuse me, I have like a a cold, so if I, I sound raspy, or it sounds like I've been smoking a couple packs of cigarettes today, I uh, actually have not been, um, but it, my throat kind of sounds like that. So, um, hear God's word. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling uh, oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. <coughs> Just think of that scene. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal, for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, now we're jumping way forward, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Let me just pray real quick. God, thanks for this Scripture. Thank You for this amazing picture of Your passion, Your anger uh, for worship. Lord, would You give it to us? Would You help us now? In Jesus' name, Amen. So, some of you know I'm wearing my Orioles uh, you know, jersey today because I am a passionate Orioles fan. I've been a passionate Orioles fan my entire life. Okay, I grew up with the Orioles as a little kid. I, I vaguely remember the like nineteen seventy, like this is how old I am, like World Series. I definitely remember the nineteen seventy one World Series when they lost to the Pirates in seven games. I remember they were losing the seventh game and I was frustrated and as a little kid I went over and played in the leaves in my neighbor's yard. I still distinctly remember that day. Okay? I remember nineteen seventy nine, Orioles and Pirates again. They had a three one lead. I had tickets to both Game 6 and 7 in Memorial Stadium. Went with my dad, Game 6. I think they were shut out in Game 7. They were in a horrible slump. They lost. Saw the Pirates celebrating on Memorial Stadium Field. It was horrible. Okay? 1983, they finally did it. They finally came back and they won the World Series. And I wasn't there at any of those games. So I could be the problem. I don't know. <laughs> I've stayed away. Um, and now this year, it's amazing. Okay? Um, and, you know, it's funny to laugh at, uh, but at the same time, you know, all of you, all of us in here have certain passions. We have certain interests. We have certain things that, like, we love to do. And, uh, you know, to some extent, that's how God has made us. He's given us desires and so forth. Now, it's very easy, as you know, the issue with our hearts is that we tend to take these really good things and we make them what? Ultimate things. We make them things that we kind of worship. You know, and so if the Orioles do lose this year, I'm sure I'll be depressed. Hopefully, not too long. Uh, hopefully, it won't affect me that much. Okay, uh, but you know, as I think about that, I ask myself, and as I read this passage, I say, Chris, do you have that kind of passion for the Lord's house? Do you have that kind of passion for the worship of God? You know, and as you think about your life, you think about this story. Now, that's what this is all about. Do you really have a red-hot passion for the worship of God? John Piper said something like, um, we most glorify God and we find our our ultimate fulfillment in life uh, when we're most satisfied in God. The question is, are we ultimately satisfied in God or are we satisfied in other things? And so... Tonight, we're just going to briefly look at uh, some of the passion that Jesus had. Um, And really, I'm just going to ask this question. Why was Jesus so hot and angry at what was going on in the temple? That's the question we're going to ask this text. And the first thing is, worship was being blocked with corruption and greed. Worship was being blocked with corruption and greed. Ultimately, it was idolatry that was going on in the temple. That's why they were having, uh, they were selling animals. <laughs> That's why they were selling all of these things in the middle of the temple because um, 
what was going on is people were coming there for the Passover feast. And it's true that people had to travel long distances. And these people that were selling the animals for sacrifice, the oxen, the sheep, the pigeons, were doing a service. But the issue is, somehow the, the religious leaders had allowed them to hold their store in the middle of the temple grounds. In the middle of the place where God said, this is holy, this is the place where I'm going to meet you. And they had made it a market. Now, a little background, the temple. Uh, what is the temple? Well, um, the temple ultimately started first with the tabernacle, if you remember in the Old Testament, after the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt in the wilderness. He gave the law to Moses on the mountain. And part of that law was this tabernacle he wanted him to build. And this was basically a tent in the desert. And in this tent was where they had the Ark of the Covenant. This special box where God's presence was. And inside that Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments, the, the rod of Aaron, and a jar of manna. And all of these things were to represent the fact that God was covenanting with His people. He loved His people and He was bringing them um, into the Promised Land through the wilderness. And the tabernacle, this place where the Ark of the Covenant was, was the place where God met His people. It was the place of His presence. It was also the place where the priest once a year would do sacrifice for the sins of the people. The, day, the Yom Kippur. It's actually coming up, I think it's around October 4th. And most of the Jewish friends here will probably be gone from school because they'll be celebrating that day. That Day of Atonement started way back there after the Passover. Okay, So... Think about this. So in the old days, you know, God tabernacled with His people in the wilderness in that tent. And then um, after David threw Solomon, um, that's when they built this temple. And this was the place, again, where there was the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle or the Holy of Holies. And again, the temple is representing this place where you meet God. This place where God comes down and is present with His people. And so, this is a crucial place. And so, when Jesus is going there, He is just overwhelmed with sadness and with anger because it has been made unholy by these folks that are selling animals, these money changers. Corruption and greed. Verse 14, In the temple He found those who were selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons, and the money changer sitting there making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple, the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. So he was, he was consumed with anger over the unrighteousness of his people. Have you ever noticed that if, when you go on vacation um, and you go to a gas station, the prices are usually like 25 to 35 to 40 cents more? You ever notice that? You know, tourist places. 
You know, and I don't know why that is. When I went, when I was a youth minister in Oklahoma, I can still remember in the 90s, gas was less than a dollar out there. It was less than a dollar. Did you guys remember when gas was less than a dollar? Okay, it was it was less than a dollar in the 90s. I remember 9/11 in Oklahoma. People started going to the gas stations because people were like, the gas attendants were raising the prices because of the crisis, and they were thinking, oh, the Middle East. Gas is going to shut down, and uh, a lot of people got in trouble because they did that totally on their own. But to some extent, what was ruling those people's hearts was greed, and that's what's going on here in this passage too. There's a lot of greed. There's a lot of corruption. They're making the house of the Lord a place uh, for a market and for a profit. I saw this quote that Billy actually put from Tim Keller's book today. Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sex. Yet, almost no one thinks they're guilty of it. Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sex, yet almost no one thinks they are guilty of it. So think about this. Think about your life. Think about the idols, and especially maybe this idol of greed, this idol of money. And think about worship. Okay, now, coming fast forward to apply this to us, we're talking about church. We're talking about corporate worship here. When they went to the temple, it wasn't a quiet time. Going to the temple was corporate worship. It was the Passover feast. It was the body of the Lord, the Lord's people going. Now, I was a college student. I was a civil engineer. I know about classes. I know how hard it is to get out of bed on Sunday morning. Uh, But my question, getting down underneath, just think about your heart. What prevents you from really being committed to the worship of the Lord, like the corporate worship of the Lord? I'm talking about Sunday morning worship. I'm also talking about RUF, talking about small groups. When you're with God's people, is it, and I know you're busy, but what if, but what is driving you to work so hard that you miss out on God's best day? Okay, what's what's driving your heart? Is it is it? You know what? I've got to get this stuff done um, because ultimately I've got to get a job. Ultimately, I've got to make money. All those things are good things. But what is really going on inside your heart? Is that your true God? Is this career or is this getting this degree and making money or whatever? Is that what you're ultimately all about or? Are you ultimately about the Lord? Are you ultimately about His worship and His glory? I'm talking to myself as well. But when, we, when it comes to worship of God, when it comes to worshiping with His people, it's very easy, very easy to let that slide. Very easy to say, I'm okay. I'll just have a quiet time. I'll just do this private worship thing. I'll listen to a podcast sermon. There's a lot of good ones out there, and they're much better than my preacher, okay? Much better than me. I mean, you can listen to all kinds of guys out there very easily. But the question is, um, you're missing out. Because there's something special that happens at worship. There's something special that happens when God's words preach. It's mysterious. When you're singing hymns and songs with other people, what's happening is you're being recalibrated. See, you're sit, we're all in the world. We're all fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil, the three enemies. 
And so when we go to worship, we go to church, or we go here, or we go to a small group and we're with other people, basically what's happening, happening is we're getting recalibrated to ultimate reality, recalibrated to the fact that God is God. He's on high. He's in control. I am not God. I am a sinner. I am a mess. I got problems. I need Jesus. I need you to pray for me. I need all of this. I need to listen to you sing out of tune um, because I know that your your heart's in it. And I'm not speaking about anybody in here. I'm just saying, like you know, when you're at church, you know, you need those old, you know, those folks that can't sing out of tune. You need to hear them because they're there making a joyful noise or praising God, and that's encouraging to you. That's encouraging to your heart. Something mysterious about fellowship. Something mysterious about when you come and you say, I'm going to partake in the Lord's Supper and feed on God spiritually in the Supper. That's a means of grace. That does something to you. That recalibrates you and gets you to think, oh, I am not God, but there is a God. I need to worship Him. I need I need my heart set right. Because when you do that, then that makes everything else right. You know, Jesus, That's why Jesus said, seek First, my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these tests, all these quizzes, all these papers, getting a career, getting a job, getting a relationship, getting married, whatever is on your heart. All those things are out there, but there's an ultimate worship first that the Lord is concerned about. Um, Secondly, why why is Jesus so angry? Why is he so red hot with passion, ripping tables in two? Well, you didn't do that, but he tossed them over. And this is this is kind of a we have to go to a parallel passage for this, but uh, the worship of God was being blocked to outsiders. The worship of God was being blocked to outsiders. There was really injustice and racism going on in Jerusalem at the temple. What do I mean? Well. We know that this outer court where they were selling the animals for the sacrifice was actually the Gentile court. In fact, Mark 11 talks about this passage. And it says, uh, Mark writes that um, Jesus, as he drove them from the courts, he taught them, is it is not written, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Well, you've made it a den of robbers. Okay, and Jesus was quoting... Isaiah 56, 7. So what's going on? Jesus sees the temple where worship is supposed to take place and also where the Gentiles, where the outsiders, where those who are seeking God are to come and to also worship God, but it's blocked because they are selling animals for sacrifice there. And this is making Jesus go crazy. And this says a lot about our God. This says a lot about who He is. God is the God of the nations. Okay? And all through the Old Testament, we hear these things. When He calls Abraham, He says, I will make you a blessing to all nations. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Isaiah, the prophets, continually speak about this. In 49 of Isaiah, it says, It is too small a thing for you to be My servant to restore the tribes of, J- of Jacob, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. Here's what he says. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. 
So when Jesus comes on the scene, immediately what we see Him doing is He's talking to a Samaritan woman. He's in a Gentile area of Galilee. Um, he's going to places where the outsiders were because He's concerned about the nations. And He always said to Abraham, His people, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. But they forgot it. And they became ultimately selfish. Ultimately ingrown. Ultimately, hey, we've got the answers, but forget about you. we got our own little thing. Guess what? We all do the same thing. We all do the same thing. We all... You know, it's birds, birds of a feather flock together, whatever. You know, we all like our own. But what Jesus is saying is, he's got a passion for worship of all people. In fact, what is heaven going to look like? Revelation tells us, you know, that it's going to be every tribe, tongue, language, people group bowing down before the throne of God. That it's going to be the entire world. It's going to be everybody, every tribe, tongue, nation, people group. All worshiping the Lord, all together in worship of the Lord. And so, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. That's our, to be our prayer. So, Jesus is, is hot mad because He's not seeing this in His people at His temple. But we know that one day He's going to bring that about. And, he's, and He really, in His great commission, He says, you know, I want you to go not to just Jerusalem, Judea, then Samaria, and then to the, you know, the outer ends of the earth. Because He wants all people to be a part of this worship, to be a part of this family. So, question, the question I have for you guys is, and for myself is, you know, when people look at the church, when people look at your church, when people look at RUF, do they see an open people? Do they see people that love the outsider, that love different races, different socioeconomic um, you know, different education, you name it. Do, do they see diversity? Do they, you know, Maryland prides itself in diversity. There's a side of that that's really good. That's from God. Okay, now, they kind of glorify it and make it idolatrous almost, but God is the God of diversity. He's the one who created all peoples. You know, and He's bringing all people together under Christ. So, when they look at our group, do they see us loving different types of people? Broken people? People that don't have it all together. And people that think they have it all together. I mean, everybody. I often wonder if Jesus came into your junior high lunchroom, where would he sit? You know, think about junior high lunchroom for a second. That's a scary thought. Or middle school lunchroom. You know, did you just sit with your friends all the time? Okay, sometimes you got in there and you were like, man, I don't, nobody's here today, man. Where do I go? You know, you got the cool kids, you got the nerds, you got the, you know, Everybody. I think Jesus would, would would just kind of be, you know, like a like a honeybee, kind of just going around to the different places. Because that's what we see in the Gospels. Concerned about all kinds of people. You know, not and, and you know the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, they were the rich. They had it all together. Then we see him with lepers as well. And broken. So that's Jesus' passion. Is it our passion? Um, MLK said Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. are still the most segregated hour of the week. I think that's probably still true. Said that in the 60s. Um, but 
God's doing new things, and He ultimately is going to bring everybody together. So do people feel invited here, or do they sense we're a clique? Okay. Do they feel invited? Are we preventing people from worship, from access to God? Because we have no space for people who are different. Or are people, are people seeing you being intentional about inviting, about uh, you know, initiating conversation and talking? Um, the last thing is this. Okay, so I've, I've listed like two major things. Idolatry of the heart, which prevents worship. And um, the issue of, of uh, you know, segregation almost within the church. Um, what can break all that? Those are huge things. What can what can knock those out? And I think it's what Jesus says here at the end of this, is that Jesus is bringing in a new era. He's bringing in a new era of himself. And because we got a big problem here, <laughs> Jesus is incredibly passionate for worship, for folks to forsake their idols. He's passionate for justice. He's passionate for um, equality. And we can't do this on our own. We need a big Savior. And so that's what Jesus gives us in this final little uh, conversation He has. With all of His passions and authority, the Jews wanted to know, like, what gives you the right to do this? And here's what He says. Here's what they say. What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews did not understand, said it took 46 years to build this temple, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So what's going on? Well, this is great. Jesus is bringing in a new era. The temple, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the sacrificial system, all of that stuff in the Old Testament, guess what? It finds its fulfillment and meaning in Jesus. That's what he's saying. All of this stuff. This, actually, guys, this temple right here, I'm going to destroy it. You thought flipping over tables was bad? You thought you know chasing the pigeons out and the oxen was bad? I'm destroying this temple. He's making a point. It's hyperbole. He's saying, it's me. He's talking about the temple of his, of his body. Because what was the temple? The temple was the place where God met His people. His presence. His presence is here. Jesus, the presence of God, is now walking around. He's among you. He's with you. So Jesus is saying, we don't need the temple anymore because I am the temple. I'm the fulfillment of it. I'm the place where you meet God, me, Jesus. It's by believing in me. It's by faith in me. This is where your sins are dealt with because guess what? I am the Lamb of God who was slain. I'm that Passover lamb, Passover lamb that was slain since the foundation of the world, so that you could have forgiveness of sins, and you could have the righteousness of God, and you could walk with God, and you could pray, and you could be God's sons and daughters. And so Jesus is saying, this is the ultimate, this is the ultimate issue that's going to break the idolatry of the temple worship and everything that was going on with the idolatry there and with these leaders who totally missed Jesus. And we're totally filled with their own idols and the status quo and doing everything else. He's saying, no, it's me. I'm the only one that can break those idols in your life. Me. Jesus. And not only that, 
when you get a hold of me, and when you see that you are a big, nasty sinner like myself, and you get a hold of the fact that Jesus loved you, a big, nasty sinner, you can't think of yourself as higher than anybody else. It levels the playing field. You can't think, oh, I'm better than that person. I got it more together than that person. Because (laughs) that's not how the gospel works. The gospel runs downhill to the humble. And it runs downhill to people who admit that, guess what, I'm a sinner. I can see it. I can see my own selfishness, um, my own racism, my own, um, you know, putting other people down, um, thinking thoughts about people that are just wicked. And Jesus loves a person like that. And He goes to the cross for us. And He turns this whole idea of worship on its head. And I want to read this quote from Hebrews 10 because it talks about how the old sacrificial system, the temple worship, everything there just didn't get the job done. It was all a pointer, but in and of itself, it couldn't deliver. Jesus says this, Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what you need to break up your heart, your idols. And last summer, I was doing a project in my basement and putting a shower in. And uh, my dad said, well, he was, he was a master plumber, so he's like, you know, telling me what I need to do. So I had to dig up the concrete floor in my basement, okay, to find the old drain pipe. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go out and buy like this 12, 14-pound sledgehammer at Home Depot. We can do this, okay? So I go out and I buy that sledgehammer, and I put on like goggles, and I'm just like wailing away down in the basement trying to break up this concrete floor. Just wailing away. Things are shattering and like scrapnel into my shins and like causing it to bleed. I decided after a few hits, this is not a good idea to do this. <laughs> and so I called a guy who had a jackhammer, and he came and he jackhammered up this floor so that I could dig a hole from the shower drain over to the pipe. And I say that illustration to say that um, you just can't take a sledgehammer. You need a jackhammer, okay, to your heart. And the jackhammer to your heart and to my heart is the gospel of grace, okay? The gospel of grace is what really softens us. It's not through like, okay, I'm just going to try harder. It's not through like, okay, I'm just going to like do these ten steps and then I'll be right with God. It's, all, it's different than that. It's more like acknowledge you're a sinner. Acknowledge like you can't do it, but Jesus did it for you. That's what, that's what softens your heart. And that's not just for someone becoming a Christian the first time, but that's like how you live your life as a Christian. It's this continual walk of repentance and faith. It's this continual walk of, oh gosh, I'm like, I'm having bad, super bad thoughts today about so-and-so. Forgive me, God. Like, I'm no better than them. You know, help me. It's this walk. It's this walk with Jesus and His Spirit where He softens your heart. And the gospel takes that jackhammer 
breaks it all up, makes it nice, soft, and easy. Okay? Let me pray. Jesus, thank You for Your passion for worship, Your passion for all people to worship You. Uh, Lord, Your passion for us to be a part of that family of fellowship and grace to outsiders, to all peoples. Lord, help us. Lord, break up the hard places in our lives, in our hearts. Uh, Would You deliver us? Would You give us the sweet song of the Gospel uh, to sing once again? So we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And before I do that, I just want to acknowledge Ashley's her first night singing. Woo-hoo!